Good to see all of you this morning on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. So before we get into the message this morning, just a couple of reminders. We have a tradition here at the Oasis that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, for our Wednesday night Bible study, we always have pie night, where we just say, hey, bring your favorite pie to church on Wednesday night, and we just have a good time of fellowship before we have our worship time and the time in the, in the Word. And usually every year, because there's uh, you know family members and friends in to visit, we usually have some uh, visitors with us that Wednesday night, so we look forward to it every year. So that's this coming Wednesday night. Uh, over in the cafeteria, 7 o'clock. And then, uh, ladies, don't forget that your Christmas fellowship is coming up on December the 1st, Thursday night, and uh, the cost is $10. And it's just a great opportunity for you gals from the Oasis to get together. Uh, And so we hope you go out there and sign up and see Marsha after the service is over for that. also want to say this. Because we have communion, and I don't really want to hold off announcements until until the end. I want to let communion be the the end. I want to say this again about next week. I want to encourage all of you on Saturday, if at all possible, to get to bed early on Saturday next week. To get up early on Sunday. To be here right at 10 o'clock, ready to praise the Lord. I mean, um, we are going to do another one of those services where we weave our teaching of the word into worship. So if you're thinking, well, you know, Jeff's going to not start teaching till like 20, 25 after, wrong. So you're, you're going to miss some of the message if you're not right here at 10 o'clock. Um, and let me say this. We're going to be in the passage in Ephesians next week where God says this, that a real big evidence that you and I are being controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is our desire to come together and worship Him corporately. That's why Ephesians 5 says, be filled or controlled with the Spirit. And then it says, Singing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit according to God and His Word is that we will, as God's people, have a desire to come together and not just hear the Word, but to worship. Let me say one other thing about that, because I probably won't say this next week. I believe that before Lucifer fell, that he was the head angel in charge of worship in heaven. I think if you look at the clues that the Bible gives us, that Michael has always been and always will be the sort of head warrior angel over the hosts, the armies of heaven. But that before Lucifer fell, he was in charge of worship. He led the worship of God in heaven. In fact, there are clues in the Bible that tells us that embedded, that when God created Lucifer, he literally embedded him with musical instruments. 
That is why I believe that since even his fall, he has used music to lead people away from God, not lead them to God. That's why music has always been a very big part of human existence because God obviously holds music as very important. And guess what? So does Lucifer. What we are charged with as the people of God is when we come together and even in our own private lives, we are to mark off and basically say, we are taking music and worship and we are defining them and and using them for God and for worship of God and to draw us to God, not the other way around like our spiritual enemy wants to do. So next week. As you come into this auditorium, think of it this way. We are coming into a place that we are marking off as the people of God saying, Satan, you have no business here. And we're not going to allow you to use music to draw us away from God. We are going to be learning about how to use music to draw us to God. So that's next week, November the 27th. All right. This week, let me say this. Though I feel read up, prepared up, studied up, and prayed up. I have no idea where this message is going today. (laughs) And I hope that that will encourage you. Because I've been a Christian now for 45 or so years, and I've been a pastor for 32 years, and there's always those seasons and times in our life where God just wants us to sort of just trust Him and just go with it. So... I hope that that will encourage you because there's time you can go, God, I, I, I want to know more before I launch out there. It's like, nah, sometimes God just says, just trust me. So that's what we're going to do today. So because of that, we're actually going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, which was our passage we were looking at Wednesday night in Bible study because we started a new series on Wednesday night in 2 Timothy. And as I shared last week, conventional wisdom is you don't start a series before or during the holiday season. You wait till the first of the year till more people come back and become a part of Bible study. But as I told you, uh, neither me nor, nor God does things by conventional wisdom. So we started a new series in 2 Timothy last Wednesday. And the reason I want to start there is because, again, it amazes me how months ago, when God led me to all these different passages of Scripture, how they can sort of just complement each other and tie together. And I want to show you that by beginning in 2 Timothy this morning. One of the main things we looked at last Wednesday was this. This is a young pastor, Timothy, that Paul was writing to. And Timothy was a sort of a a fearful guy. He really was. he, he was sort of backward and timid and, you know, he didn't want to rock the boat. And he was probably one of those guys that always wanted to, you know, make everybody happy and please everybody and whatever. And Paul kept telling him, you're in the ministry and, and you're trying to live for God. That's not always going to happen, Timothy. And he says, look, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So Paul's main thrust of this message in 2 Timothy to him Last week was this, if you look at verse 8 of chapter 1, and then if you'll take a look real quickly after that at chapter 2, verse 3, it's the same Greek words, just a little bit differently interpreted or translated, I should say, in our English Bibles. In chapter 1, verse 8, here's what Paul tells Timothy. Accept your share of suffering for this gospel. I'm in prison. 
I'm getting ready to, in a sense, put my life on the line for the gospel. I'm getting ready to give up my life. You got to do your part. You got to be willing to pay your price for following Jesus Christ. And especially for being a leader for Jesus Christ. You got to be willing to take your share of suffering. And then he says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 3. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier. Timothy, if you and I are going to follow the Lord... And we're going to be leaders in God's kingdom. Then we need to be willing to suffer for Christ and for the cause of Christ and for the name of Christ. Are we willing to suffer? Now again, in America up to this point, unlike many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and other places in the world, we have not been called maybe to suffer to that extent. But I think the message for us today is this. Are we willing at least to take our share or do our part in suffering for the cause of Christ? Is that even where our mindset is at? Do, do we even comprehend that that's what we're called to? And are we willing to do our part if called upon. I mean, even to the level, and we're getting ready to come into the holiday season where, you know, you might even be around other family members or, or friends during the holiday season, and they may make fun of you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They may insult you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They may look down on you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, you may have to put up with some, you may have to do that at work. You may have to do that uh, in your, you know, neighborhood, in your school, whatever. Even to that level, God says, are you willing to accept or take your share of suffering for Jesus? Then if you'll turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, I promise we're going to get to the book of Ephesians. But it all ties in, I assure you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I want to begin towards the end of the Beatitudes, in verse 10. Where Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And remember, let's tie this in even to last week about our inheritance in being rulers and reigners in the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. And again, we talked about that last week. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Then if you go down to verse 14, in the context here, notice then Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Now if you'd go to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. If you and I are going to rule and reign with Christ one day. If you and I are going to be a leader, then you and I have to be willing, instead of hiding the light that we have, to let it shine. 
And yet we live in a world where there is increasing pressure upon us as Christians to conform our lives, our lifestyle, the way we think and our mindset towards the way everyone else in the world thinks and the way everyone else in the world lives. And that's always been the case. The Bible has taught about that. That no matter when in time Christians have lived, there's always been that pressure from the world around us to conform to their way of thinking and their way of living. That's why Paul said to the Roman Christians, do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to put you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's always going to be that pressure. Now God is saying to us that what I give you inside of you can literally resist that pressure so that you can remain strong and stay strong and stand up for Christ and righteousness and everything else that we should in this world and not succumb to the pressure. Not to be like everybody else. Not to think like everybody else. But to dare to be different and distinct. And in the context of what we've even been talking about in Ephesians and what you see Jesus talking about in the Gospel of Matthew, you can see then how this ties into our inheritance and gaining our inheritance and being a ruler or reigner or leader in God's kingdom. Because just like today, you and I can't be leaders in the world if we allow everyone around us to conform us to their way of thinking and their way of living. If we're not willing to be ourselves and to stand out sometimes and to be different and distinct, then we will never lead. And we will never really shine the light of God because we will always go, I'm hiding my light because I don't want to be made fun of. I'm afraid of what others might think. I'm afraid of the price it might pay or what it might cost me to stand up for Christ. I don't want to lose relationships. I want everybody to like me. Again, that's always been the things that we as Christians have had to wrestle with. And yet the word of God is very clear. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means there's going to be times in our life where we have to accept our share of suffering or be willing to take our share of suffering and be willing to pay the price that other Christians down through history were willing to pay. And like I said, in, in many ways, much greater, to a greater extent than what we've ever been called on in America to have to suffer for Jesus. And yet, even in this climate, there are Christians and there are churches that are not willing, basically, to be distinct or different. The way many churches today try to reach those in darkness is by being darkness. In other words, we're going to reach the world by, by becoming a church sort of of the world, where people of the world and people who live in darkness can feel very comfortable in our church. That's not biblical. The Bible says, and God says, if you want to reach people in darkness, you be light. If you want to reach the world, you be totally opposite from the world. That's the way we reach people. We let our light shine in the midst of all this darkness. We stand out. We become very distinct and different. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 6. He says, Let nobody deceive you with empty words. 
Because of these things that we talked about last week, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be like everyone else. For you were at one time darkness. Notice he doesn't say that as Christians we were one time in the dark. He says that our lives without Christ was darkness. But now notice what he says. And the words, but now, are a strong contrast. It's like, now, because God is in our life, everything is different. Now, he says, we are light in the Lord. Again, not in the light. We literally possess light because of Christ. And that's why then he says this. Walk as children of the light. That's the key today. Are we willing, as the church... Are we willing as individual followers of Jesus Christ to walk as children of the light? Not just to tell people, but literally that our lifestyle, our behavior, our conduct, our mindset, everything would be different because that's what the word walk means. It's a Greek word that literally talks about taking steps through life. That every step I take, I should take as a child of light, and be in the light as I take that step. So he's sort of talking about two different things here. First of all, he's challenging us that if we are light, that we should be taking every step as a follower of Jesus Christ in the light that we have and never living in darkness again because we don't have to live in darkness. And light in this context speaks about understanding and truth and knowledge. In other words, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I should never be living my life in some kind of lack of clarity or confusion or fog like many Christians are. No, there really should be an understanding and a clarity because I have light. I am light in the Lord, he said. And then I have the Holy Spirit who guides me. And then I have the Word of God, which in Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. We have all this light. Why then do we seem always in a fog about what we should be doing and and what we should be, you know, where we should be going and all these things? We shouldn't. We should have a real clear understanding if we're truly in the light of God because His light will light up everything and make it very clear. It's like He doesn't want His children to be living life, if you will, in a dark room where we're groping around trying to find our way. He says, you are light. Live in that light. Live in the understanding and knowledge that you can have when everything is lit up and it's like everything's very clear. I don't have to worry about dodging that because I see it very clearly. I know where to go and all of these things. This is what he's talking about. But then he's also challenging us, if we are light, to live it out. Which is why he says, For the fruit of light, verse 9, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You'll know whether your life is in the light by the fruit. Trying to learn, I love this, what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5.10. See, that's part of our spiritual growth in living in the light is being in a place where instead of trying to please ourselves or please everyone else, we are actually devoted to trying to please the Lord. Lord, I'm going to try to ascertain and figure out what pleases you more than anything else. It's one of the signs of our ongoing spiritual growth and maturity. So then he says in verse 11 again, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. The things that, again, 
a million years from now, 10 million years from now in eternity won't matter. But he says, rather expose them. Now, let me say this. What Paul's not advocating is that we become these secret agents and that we put up hidden cameras in people's homes so that we can see what's really going on there and expose them and say, ah, look! No, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, live your life distinctly and differently from the people in darkness. Be light. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be an obnoxious Christian. Don't try to cram your faith down somebody's throat. That's not what it means to expose. It simply means live so differently and distinctly that the people who are in darkness go, there's something different about you. What is it? That's what it means to expose. To basically offer a contrast that our life should be so different from those in darkness that it's clearly seen. And not only that, but that the way of God and the way of living for God is superior to the way other people are living. I think that's what grieves the heart of God whenever He looks down and He wants to see Christians and He wants to see churches that are filled with people where it's like when they're following God, it's like this is, this is the best. And yet so many Christians today are in such a bad, unhealthy place spiritually It's like we don't come across as if we've really got it good because we're followers of God. We're always bemoaning and and discouraged and and lacking peace and joy. And, you know, we're not worshiping God like we should and all of this. And, And so there really isn't that big of a contrast. But Paul says, no, walk as children of light. And this was very important in Ephesus because Ephesus was a center of false worship and cult activity and occult activity. The great ancient temple of Diana was in Ephesus. And trust me, people came from all over the world, false worshipers, to come to Ephesus to worship this false god. It was embedded in Ephesus. So when Paul is saying to the Christians in Ephesus, you walk as children of light, you be different in your life, you be distinct, they would have definitely stood out because everybody else in Ephesus would have had a little statue of Diana, at least one in their home, at least one. They would have had little Diana pins and little Diana scarves and little Diana hats and Everything in Ephesus, I'm telling you, everything was... So you can imagine, they didn't even have to wear anything Jesus. They just didn't have to wear anything Diana. And they would have stood out like a sore thumb, as they say. Where's all your Diana stuff? Well, I don't worship Diana. I worship Jesus. What? So that's, that's what he's saying to them. And he's saying the same things to us. Don't be like the world. Don't think like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't go to the places the world goes. Don't do the things the world does. Walk as children of light. Be different. Be distinct. Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't be afraid. You might have to suffer, but be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. 
For he goes on to say in verse 12, the things that they do in secret are shameful even to mention. But all things being exposed by the light are made evident. It's made clear. It's made plain. The light of God just lights everything up so much that it's like, yeah, that's, that's very clear. It's very clear. For everything made evident is light. It's like, ah, oh, I get it now. That's, that's why I tell Christians when they're like, they're trying to make decisions. I said, here's the best way biblically to tell somebody to give them advice about how to make the best decision or choice in their life. Get everything on the table. Throw everything about that decision and that choice and throw it all on the table and let the light of God, the light of his word and all that, let it light it up. And if you and I are willing to bring everything, because see, sometimes even as Christians, it's like, well, God, I'm, I'm not going to bring everything because there's this thing over here and, and I'm going to sort of hide that. I'm not going to make that part of the equation. I'm going to just sort of let that over there. No, no. God says, bring it all in. Because if we bring everything in to the light of God, then it's, it, it's, think of how, again, how maybe better even our justice system would be. If in trials and, and things like that, the jury literally had all the facts rather than just the facts that the lawyers wanted them to know. Which is why sometimes juries have, you know, they get hung and all that. Because it's like, you know why? It's not so much because all the truth isn't out there a lot of times. It's that all the truth isn't, isn't being uh, able to be brought into the courtroom. And that's why God says... Things would really be easy if you just brought all the facts, all the situation, everything, how everything's affected. Bring it all into the light and then you let the light take care of it. Then it'll become very clear and evident when everything is brought into the light. For everything made evident is light. In fact, take your finger there and go back to the Gospel of John real quick. To John's Gospel, chapter 3, and then we'll... Go back to Ephesians for just a few moments. In John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking here, and I'm going to begin in verse 19, where he says, Now this is the basis for judging, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Can I tell you, that's why when people are living in darkness, that's part of the reason why they don't want to come to a church like ours that teaches the Word. Or they don't want to read their Bible or they don't want to study their Bible or whatever. Because if they truly want to stay in the darkness, then to come into the light, that's convicting. And they try to run from that. Because they want to stay where they're at. They don't want to be exposed. So Jesus goes on to say, For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light, does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed or made evident for what it really is. But the one who practices the truth, that should be you and I, continually comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. That's walking as a child of light. Yet, is it uncomfortable sometimes to come into the light of God with our lives and everything and say, here I am, God. Yeah, it is. But like we even sung about today, when I come into the light, and everything is exposed and made evident, God still loves me. God never stops loving me. God but does, does say this, if you and I are going to deal, 
and, and, and you're going to allow me to help you with this, then you got to bring it all in. You got to bring it all in and have my light light it up. Then we can begin to talk about things and see things happen. Then we can begin to see healing take place and, and we can begin to see, you know, things overcome and we can begin to see victory and all that. It's when we are willing to come to the light and let it all there. Not because God doesn't know it, but because we need to come clean as children of light. So that's why then if you go back to Ephesians, Paul ends this passage with this. And you'll notice in the Net Bible, if you have the Net Bible, and it might be true in some other translations too, that Paul's sort of giving us a little bit of a foreshadowing of what he's going to talk about next week because this typeset is different when he comes to this. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the reason why that typeset is different is because we believe that these three lines were part of a worship song in the early church. And Christ is saying through this, Christian, wake up. Wake up. The opportunities to be light to others and to shine our light are fleeting. We've got to wake up. So many Christians and churches are in a spiritual slumber. It's like they're walking around in a fog. And he's saying, get out of the dark and get into the light and wake up. Rouse yourself. You know, get those, you know, crusty sleepers and, and bed things out of your eyeballs and wake up. And then he says, rise from the dead. Now, he's not saying we're spiritually dead in Christ here because he's directing this to Christians. But he's saying... You're, you're like a dead person and you're totally spiritually unresponsive. You're insensitive. It's like nothing can move you anymore. And he says, stand up, get up, step up, be light. Be the light that God calls us to be. And Christ will shine on you. I love that. See, God actually wants to light up our church and to light up our lives individually, very conspicuously, so that these people who are in darkness, and even Christians who've now drifted back into the dark, can see the difference that Christ makes in our life in a positive way. He wants to do that. But obviously, He's not going to shine on us and make us conspicuous and, and stand us out if we're in the dark. It's only when we're willing to walk as children of light, then He will light us up. And not only that, but He will give us such greater understanding and comprehension and insight into the ways and will and Word of God when we are willing to walk into the light. See, the problem with us many times is we say to God, God, Light that pathway up for me, sort of like I was saying about the message even today. God, light that pathway. Show me exactly where I'm going Sunday morning with this message, and then I'll do, I'll do it. I'll follow. And God says, no. No. You follow me and do what I'm asking you to do. And as you take those steps, I'll light it up one step at a time. 
See, we, we want the light first so that we sort of say, God, show me where I'm going and then, then I'll figure out whether I want to follow. God says, no, 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 no. My way is you follow me and then I'll light up the way as you follow. That's why we have it so wrong today because, again, we've allowed the world to influence us even as Christians when it comes to following God in this way. We say, God... You give me the right feelings, and then I'll follow. God says, oh, no. No, you follow. You do what you're supposed to do. And then you'll find that as you do what you're supposed to do, the right feelings will follow. See, we have it totally out because that's the way the world is. The world says, I, I need to have all the right feelings, and then I do this. God's kingdom is just the opposite. God says, you do that, and these right feelings you're looking for, they'll be there, but they'll only be there after you do what's right. After you follow me. Let me ask you a question. In light of partaking of communion here today, do you think Jesus felt like getting that crown of thorns placed on his head? Do you think Jesus felt like getting his beard plucked out? Do you think Jesus felt like getting scourged with a Roman whip that literally would go in and have pieces of, of metal and bone and glass embedded in that whip and would literally go into his back and literally pull chunks of his back out? Do you think he felt like that? Do you think he felt like being nailed to a cross? No. He didn't feel like it. He did it out of love for us and obedience to the will of His Father. And Jesus is saying to us, don't wait till you feel like it. As so many Christians do. They wake up on Sunday morning, oh, I, don't, I don't feel like going to church. I didn't get quite enough sleep last night. I don't feel like being there and serving God today. Nah, I think I'll just... Really? That's what we've been reduced to? That kind of attitude and mindset? Instead of doing what we need to do? Because guess what? When we do what we know we should do, there is a blessing on the other side of that. In the times in my life, and I'm just using this as one example, in the times in my life where I least felt like going to church is usually when I walked away from there with the biggest blessing. Because again, God says, you do what you should do and the feeling will follow. Don't let your feelings drive it. Let your faith in me drive your life. And that's what he means when he says, wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Will we be children of light? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for making us light in you. 
And we pray today, God, that as we go up and we even gather these elements in our hands that are symbols of your blood and your body that was shed and broken for us, that, God, we may remember that, God, you call us as your followers to be willing to accept our share of suffering, to take our part, to do our part, to be willing to pay a price. So many Christians today, they want to be followers of God, but they don't want it to cost them anything. They don't want them to cost them financially or relationally or anything. And yet you took up your cross. You were willing to suffer outside the camp of Israel. And you tell us in your word, let us be willing to take up our cross and follow you and be willing to bear your reproach as we are willing to also go out to you outside that camp. So God, as we go up to that table today, let us within our own hearts and our own minds as we take up those elements that mean so much to us because they are reminders of the price that you paid for our salvation, that, God, we also may reflect upon us and say, God, it's time for me to walk as a child of light, to not be so concerned and bothered about what other people think and always pleasing everybody else, always being politically correct, but Lord, to follow you wholeheartedly, no matter what it means, because you were willing to do that for me. Move upon your people today, God. Make us a lighthouse as the oasis. Make us a place, God, so different and so distinct that we just stick out. Make our lives individually so different and so distinct that we stand out in this world of darkness so that those in darkness can see that there really is a difference that you make in our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.